verses 1 to 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This ends the reading of his word. So obviously this morning in the time we have, we're just going to be able to kind of hit some highlights here. Uh, And I'm going to talk about why Nehemiah is really one of my favorite heroes of faith because of the combination of leadership and uh, both spiritual uh, leadership as well as like a task-oriented leader, somebody who was able to put uh, faith into action and accomplish an amazing task in rebuilding the walls um, of Jerusalem. But I want to start with a question, and that question is, have you ever thought about the place of confession in faith? And what I mean by that is both confession in terms of who we confess God to be, and and we believe that that God is a God of love, has a plan designed for a relationship with us. So essential to our confession of faith is about who God is and his nature and his character, as we're going to look at in Nehemiah's example. And, And so we want to celebrate the fact that God's design is for relationship with us. But also confession and recognizing that we all uh, fall short of the glory of God and we all need forgiveness. We all experience brokenness, okay? And really that acknowledgement of brokenness is the starting point of faith because we're basically saying, I don't have it within myself to save myself. I don't have it to accomplish any great deed. But through confession and recognition of my brokenness, God can fill me and restore me through Jesus, and he can do amazing things, 
well beyond all I could ask or imagine. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. He says, you know, God, may you do more than we, immeasurably more than all we might ask or imagine. And God did something immeasurably more, really, than all Nehemiah could ask or imagine in the story of Nehemiah. So in a way, confession is that starting point of faith because we're saying, I need to rely on God, his character, and his resources because without it, we're without hope. He is our only hope. He is the only source of salvation. He's the only one who can guide us and direct us into a life that is ultimately worth living. And we need God to do that, especially, uh, and as we'll see in Nehemiah's day and age, he was desperate for God to act. And it's true in our day and age, because we are desperate too, or at least we should be, okay, if we're not yet. And the reason why we should be desperate is because of our foundational truth today, And that is that the church of Jesus Christ is clearly in a place of weakness in the United States right now, in decline and discouragement in certain ways. But through recognition or kind of through an assessment of the state of the church and remembering our purpose, we can be led into a new season of rebuilding. And uh, Abby, I think I had that on a foundational truth slide, if you can find it. And, you know, I would say this last week was one of those experiences for me where it's like you're becoming aware of this because, you know, gathering uh, together uh, in in all the leaders of the the evangelical Presbyterian church, you hear a lot of stories. I run into a lot of pastors who are discouraged about the state of their church. We heard the statistics again. 85% of churches in the United States are under 200 people. Most churches are in a place of recline, like, uh, you know, they're not growing, you know, they're kind of resting a little bit, or they're in decline. They're numerically and perhaps in spiritual vitality in a place of decline. And so it can be discouraging. But what happens is when we, we take the time to kind of recognize our present state and assess where we are, we can grow from there. We can kind of have a new incline, a new season of growth. Several years ago now, we went through a church revitalization process. We had a consultant come out uh, from Pittsburgh, a guy named Bob, who's become a good friend of mine, and he spent time with us as a church. And I remember at the time, you know, we were looking at this bell curve of like incline, recline, decline, and like, where do you see our church? And I actually put, our, put us further over to the right of anybody in the room, about 60 of us. And somebody said, like, Mike, like, how can you do that? How can you, you put, you know, like, you're the pastor. Like, aren't you worried about, like, where the church is? And I said, yes. The question is, why aren't you? We all need to be concerned, not just the pastor, about the state of the church, not only our own congregation, but the state of the church in the United States. And we all need in a place of recognizing and confessing that reality so we can grow from there. And, you know, that's what Nehemiah does for us and why it's so important. Nehemiah is important because we always need to ask this question of ourselves. It's kind of a vision question. And that is, how does God want to express himself through our church in our community at this time? Let me say that again. How does God want to express himself through our church in our community at this time? As Nehemiah assesses that in his own situation, how does God want to work in his day and age? How does God want to use him? We see this reality. that Because because like Nehemiah, followers of Jesus Christ are called to partner with God in a great building project. Like Nehemiah, and we can learn from him, we are to invest in building up the kingdom of God to bring people into a relationship with God. And the question then is, are, are you building? 
lives of uh, individuals? Are you helping people progress in their faith? Are you inviting people to come and know love and love Jesus? You see, like Nehemiah, you are to be a builder who is instrumental in growing the kingdom of God on earth. And we have an opportunity to do that in our area. You see, like the era, era in which we live, where there is decline in the church, the post-exilic era Nehemiah lived in was a difficult time for the people of God. And Greg kind of did a little timeline of biblical history, and we're in this stage now where the people of uh, Israel have been taken off into exile in Babylon, okay? And, um, and now leaders like Ezra, who Greg talked about last week, and Nehemiah are are instruments that God uses to rebuild the people of God in certain ways. And Ezra was a spiritual leader in that. He called the people back to God's word and its authority for their lives. And Nehemiah is both a spiritual leader, as we'll see, but he was also a task-oriented leader. He believed that God was calling him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And each one of us have a role to play in this experience in our era. We have a role to play in being a part of the rebuilding work of the church and building up the kingdom of God where we are. Nehemiah is a great example. He, as we're going to see, he had a dream and vision and would not be denied by his circumstances. And like so many of the ordinary people of the Bible, Nehemiah believed that God was with him and would call him someday to a great task. It was a time where the people of God were few And they were desperately in need of renewal and revitalization. And they needed inspirational leadership. And Nehemiah provided that. And he did it out of the passion that God imparted to him. So one of the questions we're going to kind of come back to today in the short time we have is, you know, what are you passionate about? What has God stirred within you uh, to do something about? What unique contribution or in kingdom responsibility has God called you to? Because it may be different for you. It will be different from you or unique to you than it is for me. But together, we as a church form this more beautiful picture of who God is as part of the body of Christ. And we each have a part to play uniquely, but we form this more beautiful picture I often have used the analogy of a stained glass window. And if you think, uh, I grew up in one of those churchy churches in Cupertino, beautiful stained glass windows. And I remember just thinking, yeah, if you take one of the, color, one of the stained glass shards uh, apart from the other shards, it's okay, it's this beautiful blue piece of glass. But if you put it in with these other shards of glass, it might form a biblical scene or a picture. Uh, such as St. La Chapelle uh, Sanctuary in, in France where we got to go, where it's like 36 biblical scenes were seen around the sanctuary because of the shards of glass and where they were put. Well, like that, we each have a part to play. Nehemiah was unique, but you and I are not off the hook. We each have a part to play. So uh, what do we learn about Nehemiah and his faith? We learn about who he is as a person. Uh, he was the son of, we get to say this because it's fun, Hakaliah. So Marty had a very difficult name. Practice it with me because it's fun. Hakalia. It's like Hakanalugi. Hakalia was his dad. I know. So fun. But, you know, we got to go there sometimes. All right. So he was the son of Hakalia. But his name actually meant the comfort of the Lord. The Lord has comforted. So what God does is use Nehemiah by comforting him to be a comfort for others. I, I talked about that in, in praying for the deacons. Second Corinthians 1, one of my favorite passages. The God of all comfort, the giver of all compassion, comforts us in any trial we are going through 
so that we might comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We are to be a conduit of God's comfort. Nehemiah was one the Lord comforted so that he could comfort others. Okay? Uh, Nehemiah was in a certain place. He was in the citadel of Susa. So, uh, Abby, if we can put up that slide where it says the person, the place, and the position. He was in a place called the Citadel of Susa. And, and Daniel, in a vision, saw himself in the Citadel of Susa at one time. Okay? So he pictured himself there. And next week, we get to look at the uh, amazing story of Queen Esther. Where was Esther? She was in the Citadel of Susa. This was a place that was about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf. Uh, and uh, a place that, again, they're in exile. And so when Daniel sees himself there, when Nehemiah was there as the cupbearer of the king, or next week when Esther is called to be a part of God's saving work for his people in her unique position as a king, they were all people that were in exile away from their homeland, but God worked in their lives in an amazing way. So if you and I feel isolated as followers of Jesus, if we feel like we are in a type of exile in western Nevada County, guess what? We are. But God is not done with us. And God is not through with our area. We have a unique opportunity to witness to Jesus when maybe the people of God are fewer and, um, and we might feel isolated or what's, what are we going to do here about what's going on? And uh, yet we have an opportunity. A while back, Session was meeting our elders. We just ordained some, and we were talking about our mission and the challenges of it in our area. And we were looking at, I think it was Luke 9 at the time, and the passage where Jesus says, the fields are white for harvest. And one of our elders confessed, I don't really feel that about our area. Western Nevada County just doesn't feel like open to Jesus. And sharing Jesus here is really hard. And we, and we sort of wrestled through that, and we came to the conviction, but Jesus says... The fields are wide for harvest, that there's opportunity and people that are going to respond to Jesus. And let's trust him at his word that the fields are going to be white for harvest, even when it doesn't feel that way internally. Okay? And so it makes a difference in our mission of rebuilding the kingdom of God and being at work in the kingdom of God in our environment that we know and trust that Jesus has people for each one of us to reach in our surrounding area. Because if I go out there and I don't think anybody's going to be interested, what am I going to do? I'm not going to share. Or I'm not going to share Jesus with anticipation, right? I'm, going to, I'm just going to stay quiet. But if I believe that there are people that out there that need Jesus and are going to be open to Jesus, I'm going to boldly go. What's the Star Trek phrase? Boldly go where no man has gone before. I don't know why that popped in my head, but it did. So we boldly go where no man or woman has gone before. Western Nevada County, people have gone here before. Don't, you know. But we get to go again and we get to share Jesus again. Because there are people that don't have a relationship with God, need God, and are open to God, even when it doesn't necessarily immediately feel that way. Okay? So, Nehemiah is this person, uh, the Lord, the comfort of the Lord, that's what his name meant. He's in a specific place in exile, but he's also given a unique position. He was cupbearer to the king. This unique position of being an intermediary. Uh, you may be familiar with this from the story of Joseph or here. Cupbearer the king had to taste the wine before the king did in case the wine had been poisoned. So this is the person who's going to get taken out for the king uh, instead of the king. Okay? And I was thinking about this. Isn't Jesus our cupbearer before God? He's the one that drinks the cup of God's wrath for us because of our sin. He's our intermediary. 
before God. He's our cupbearer. And we think about that when we celebrate communion. You know, his body, his blood, given and shed. Jesus is our cupbearer. He's our intermediary. He's the one that takes on our sin and saves us and keeps us from experiencing God's judgment and wrath. And that's what Nehemiah was doing for uh, the king uh, there. He had a unique position. So when the time came, he had a unique opportunity to do something about the situation that the people of God were in. So that's who he was. That's his place. That's his position. Nehemiah's model of faith. And he did three amazing things that we really can pay attention to here. In Nehemiah's model of faith, he first inquired about the condition of the people. Okay? He asked a question. What is, how are the people in Jerusalem? So this guy Hananiah shows up from Jerusalem. Nehemiah's connecting with him. And Nehemiah says, how are the people there? He inquires about the people and the place of Jerusalem and what state they're in. Okay? That is a huge act of faith. And I don't want us to miss it. Because if you don't care about other people or their condition, you don't ask, right? But if you care about them, you inquire, you ask, how is that person? How are they? And that question is a question of faith because you're kind of asking about their condition because you believe God might be able to do something about it, okay? So he inquires about the people uh, of, of Israel that are back in Jerusalem, and he asked Hananiah, this person, because he cared about his people that were in that place. And he hears three things. He hears they're in great trouble and distress, that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and that the gates have been burned with fire. Things are not good. The report is bad. But guess what it does? It doesn't cause Nehemiah to say, oh well, too bad for them. Instead, we see the second act of faith moves from inquiring to identifying with them. Nehemiah became involved personally. It says he sat down and he wept. It says that he mourned and he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah didn't say, oh well, too bad for them. Instead, he identified with their condition. He identifies with the situation circumstances that the people were in because he believes they're connected and he is one of those. If you want to irritate me, Talk about like those kids in Nevada County when you're upset about what some teenager's doing in town. Like, oh, you know, the kids today, or those kids. They're our kids. Every one of those students are our students. We belong to them and they belong to us. We are in it together. So when we're frustrated about the school board and some decision they made, when we are frustrated about the government, guess what? We elected those leaders. They're ours, and we're, we're connected with them. And I know that's hard to think about sometimes for some of you. I get it. But guess what? We are linked with them, so we better be praying for them, and we better be uh, moving in, in ways that we reflect identification with them. We need to identify with the people of our town. We need to, to connect with their circumstances. And what happened with Nehemiah when he identified with them is he experienced this amazing divine discontent. He wasn't happy about what they were going through. He got stirred up by it in such a way that he believed that God could do something about it and Nehemiah was actually going to be part of God's solution, okay? But it takes identifying with people, 
Question here. In a church that is seeking to be revitalized continually and experience renewal, um, we need to, uh, a statement first, we need to identify with the needs and concerns of others in our congregation and community as part of our call to love our neighbor as an expression of our love for God. Third part of our vision statement, we, we invite people to, to love Jesus by reflecting love for others. Okay, that's the third part. We're going to discover Jesus, we're going to follow, but we're going to love others because we know Jesus loves us. And that's what Nehemiah did. He experienced a love for others. He was stirred up by their situation. And love led him to a sense of identification with the needs and concerns of his people in that other place. Their concerns became his. Frederick Wiechner is one of my favorite writers, and he said this. The place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Let me say it again. The place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's the intersection of God's call for you. Where your passion for people, for God, and and God's love being reflected in certain ways spills out in connecting with the needs of other people and their hungers. And friends, that's our purpose. I read a story recently about a church. Uh, This is Union Church in New York City. In 1968, they put out on their signboard, one of those old school signboards where sometimes it changes and they have interesting messages. And their signboard said, gone out of business, didn't know what our business was. Church, gone out of business, didn't know what our business was. Friends, let's remind ourselves of what our business is. We're here to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. And the four elders that were at... uh, uh, General Assembly, we were sitting at breakfast the last day, and I just said, what's our takeaway, friends? We need to be about multiplying disciples. We need to get back to our core, basic reality. And we confess that we get distracted, and we don't always make that our main thing, which is to be our main thing of making disciples. Nehemiah knew that he was called to a specific purpose of building up the people of God, and he invested in himself in it. And that's the third. He inquired, he identified with the people and their situation, and then he invested himself by fasting and by praying and by committing himself to to them, to God, and his purpose, God's call for him to do something about it. He became deeply concerned about the people, so much so that it says, for some days, not just 24 hours, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah invested himself in, their, in God's purpose for him and in the situation and circumstances of the people of God there. 20 years ago, uh, I went to a general assembly in our, that was reflective of our previous denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, and it was in Denver, Colorado, just like I was in Denver, Colorado this last week at another general assembly for our present denomination. 20 years ago, 2003, I was there, and I was concerned about the state of that church that had shifted away from Jesus as the only way to salvation and the authority of Scripture. And I remember most of that week spending time on my knees. Like we were on tables there to vote and do our things, and I would actually like crawl under the table and pray because I was so concerned about the direction of the church that I had grown up in. And man, I love the church. I, I was formed in the womb of that church. I was loved in the context of a particular church 
that loved me well and grew me up in Jesus. But I remember just spending time on my knees and crying out to God over the state of that expression of Jesus' church. 20 years later, I'm there uh, the other night, and, and we're at the last night, and the pastor of the home congregation that hosted us is pre- preaching, and I just felt God's call. You need to get up, and you need to just start walking around and praying. Instead of just, I don't remember anything the guy said. But for a half hour, I was just walking around the sanctuary and praying, and sometimes pausing and getting on my knees and saying, Lord, if our, your church has departed from your primary purpose of making disciples. We confess, I confess that, and I confess my own complicity in it, and, we wanna, and I want to get right with you. I, I want to be about your work of making disciples in my particular context and in the world. And the whole time for me it was just God saying, like, get back to the basics. Make the main thing the main thing. Make disciples. Mike, that's what I've called you to do. Don't, don't. It's not rocket science. Get with people, spend time with them, teach them about Jesus, help them to grow in Jesus, and launch them to go and do the same thing for somebody else. You know, Nehemiah just is this amazing example of somebody who invested himself. And I want to invite you to invest yourself in the building up of the kingdom of God. You may not feel like much. You may not feel like you have a contribution to make for the building up of the kingdom of God. But I truly believe that as Nehemiah saw that he had a contribution to make, we each can see that we have a unique contribution to make for the building up of the kingdom of God. And you can contribute through prayer, adoring God and praising God. You can contribute through confession, acknowledging we all fall short of the glory of God as we're going to do corporately here in a moment. And you can do it by praying. Praying for God's people, praying for the church, Praying for God to move among us and do a great revitalizing, rebuilding work that only ultimately he can do. The new elders and deacons, they can't do it on their own strength. Your pastors can't do it on their own strength or ability. Uh, Apart from him, we're, we're nothing. But by God's grace and mercy, he continues to draw together people of God to continue to build the kingdom of God up in their specific context. And I don't know about you, but I want to say yes to that. And I'd love for you to join me and us to join together in saying yes. I will, by God's grace and mercy, allow God to work through me in this particular place, at this particular time, through this particular group of people. And together, we can do it by his strength and by his ability. Because Nehemiah, nobody thought he could do it. He had a bunch of opposition as the story unfolds. But by God's grace and power, he did something amazing through Nehemiah. And I'm crazy enough to think he can do something amazing to us. Amen? I'm calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses One who opened up the oceans I need you now to do the same thing for me 